Good to be with you tonight. I'm a little older than I used to be when I first came here in 1981, so that's been a while, 42 years. And uh, Tom and Laura were in the front pew, I think, back in 1981, too, I believe. So. <laughs> um, I've been preaching at a church in Virginia at least two Sundays a month. For five years now, and I've uh, preached through the book of Revelation and through the book of Psalms, most of the Psalms, not all of them. And so today we're going to be looking at a Psalm. This is a sermon that I preached there uh, not too long ago. My wife happened to be there, and she said, why don't you preach on that? I said, okay, I'll do that. So has her approval. Anyway, uh, the text this evening is from Psalm 140. I'm going to read the entire psalm. It's not that long. And we're going to be looking at the last, basically, uh, the last two verses. In preaching the psalms, there's so much you can't cover it all. Uh, so sometimes you have to choose and pick. But Psalm 140, let's hear the word of God. Rescue me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who devise evil things in their hearts. They continually stir up wars. They sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purpose to trip up my feet. The proud have hidden a trap for me and cords, and they have spread a net by the wayside, and they have set snares for me. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear, O Lord, to the voice of my supplications. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked, and do not promote his evil device that they not be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, may the mischief of their lips cover them. May burning coals fall upon them, and may they be cast into the fire, in the deep pits from which they cannot rise. May a slanderer not be established in the earth, and may the Evil hunt the violent man speedily. I know the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous will give thanks to your name, and the upright will dwell in your presence. Let us pray. Our Father, we confess we have before us here this evening the very word of God the infallible, the inerrant truth that God speaks to his people and to the world. We pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to understand something of the character and the nature of God. Here this evening, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. A major theme in the book of, uh, or in this particular psalm, is in verse 12, my theme verse for this evening, where the psalmist talks about the cause of the afflicted 
and justice for the poor. And my topic really is dealing with the poor tonight. And there's one thing we learn from Scripture is that God has the back of the poor. He's got their back. And therefore, we should too. You've heard, don't mess with Texas. I'd say don't mess with God when it comes to the poor. Every time I go by the Salvation Army uh, kettle in Christmas time, I feel guilty. Unless I put something in, which I don't always do, and then I really feel guilty. But one of the things we have to deal with in life is how do we deal with the poor? And my theme here this evening is that not all the poor are equal. Not all the poor are equal. And we have to do an analysis of what do we mean by the poor before we know how or if we should help them. And I'm dividing the poor into four categories. What I call the poor in spirit, number one. The providential poor, number two. The sinful poor, number three. And the persecuted poor, number four. And we'll look at each one of those and how the Bible tells us we are to respond as we identify them. And of course, first of all, there is the poor in spirit. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's certainly a sign of being a Christian when a man can say, I ain't no good. I have no resources in myself to improve. And apart from the grace of God, I would be worse. And as Jesus said, such a man goes on to mourn over his condition. It certainly makes him meek and humble. And finally, it makes him hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as a believer, as a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. The poor are in need of forgiveness and the grace of God to sanctify us. Paul said in Romans 7, For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. And I find the principle that evil is present within me, the one who wants to do good. O wretched man that I am. And as a Christian, you know what I'm talking about when I say poor in spirit. And I don't think I need to spend a whole lot of time on that here this evening. But that's number one, the poor in spirit. Number two, the Bible speaks quite often of what I call the providential poor. Now, they may or may not be a Christian. 
but providentially they have been born into poverty or because of some reason they have become poor. This past year I've dealt with a number of uh, people that I know and Christian people and I, uh, I have some dear friends that I've made over the years who have gone into business and become almost multimillionaires. My age, my friends, my Christian friends, they are rich people. They have homes that are probably in farms worth millions of dollars. They're very rich, and I go to their home, and I admire what God has given them. And that's one of the things about being a pastor. The next day, I may go to another house where the man is very, very poor, raised in a poor family, born with some disabilities, hardly able to take care of himself, lives in a shock that's about 10 foot by 20 feet, no family, by himself, way back up in the mountains of Virginia. And so I know what it is to be friends with the rich, and I know what it is on the next day to go to the very poorest home, maybe in southwest Virginia. But this man is poor basically because of being born into poverty, being born with some disabilities that makes it very difficult for him to even to hold down a job. And so he is providentially poor, a Christian man who I pick up and take him to church about every Sunday, stop on the way and get him because he can't get there himself. Providentially poor will always there will always be there will always be here. They will always be with us. You remember when Mary put the expensive ointment on Jesus' feet and Judas complained about it? and said the money should be spent on the poor. It should be sold and put in the money box so he could pilfer the money box himself. That's his reason for that. Wasn't that he was concerned about the poor. But Jesus used that as an opportunity to say to those present, for the poor you will always have with you but you do not always have me. There will always be the poor, the providentially poor. And it's much easier in a way to be poor today than it used to be. Um, I remember, and you may not want to hear old men talk about I remember, but I remember the days before Social Security and the days before disability and unemployment insurance and when a man lost his job, he had nothing. Maybe his church, 
maybe some family, but nothing else. Sometimes he was totally dependent upon charity. The poor we will always have with us. Some people are born into poverty and some people become poor. Some people make bad business decisions. Some people live through hurricanes without insurance. People become poor for various reasons. But there will always providentially be the poor. And for those Jesus takes up for them and says, when you find someone like this, Remember Proverbs 19, 17, one who is gracious to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. Now it says here he lends. It's not always giving away. Sometimes people just need a loan for a while. And if we are gracious and lend to the poor, the Bible says God will repay you for your good deed. In Galatians 2, when Paul and Barnabas were being commissioned as missionaries, there was the giving of the right hand of fellowship and sending these men out to change the world. And I'm sure the issue of the importance of, of Christ and theology and everything was pretty much settled. And the last thing that was said to them, and, and I think sometimes of ordination services and how wonderful they are and how a privilege it is to be there and see somebody ordained. And the last word that was said was, by Paul as he summarized, they only ask us to remember the poor. Now he's going out on a mission trip to preach the gospel and change the world. And what did they say to him? On your way, don't forget the poor. And Paul goes on to say, the very thing I was also eager to do. It's not as important maybe as preaching the gospel, but it is important. And wherever Paul went, he was looking for those who were poor, and he was eager to help them in whatever way he could. That was the mind and heart of this great theologian, always looking for those who are providentially downtrodden, discouraged, depressed, wondering where the next meal is coming from, and Paul's eyes would light on that man. There's the man I want to talk to. I want to help. They only ask us to remember the poor. The very thing I was also eager to do. And away he goes. Fascinating. 
1 John 3.17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Sees his brother. We're talking about Christians who are really up against the wall and they need help. Now, remember, again, these are the days before all the federal programs. I mean, all you've got are kind people to help you. And John says, if we do not help him, how can we claim that the love of God abides in us? There is an interesting proverb, Proverb 28, 11. It says, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor man who has understanding sees through him. Now, I'm not preaching about the elitism of the poor and anything like that here this evening, but all I'm trying to do is to make you see that uh, sometimes going through poverty makes you wise, like a rich man will never know and will never be. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor man who has understanding sees right it through him, sees things that he doesn't even know. The poor man has more wisdom sometimes than the rich man. Because you've never been there like I've been there. And you'll never understand it. That's the providential poor. Maybe providentially poor because of birth. Maybe health problems. Maybe calamity. Maybe hurricanes. Sickness. They cannot help themselves. It's no fault of their own. They deserve our help, and God has their back. God has their back. Now, that's number one, the um, one and two, the poor in spirit, the providentially poor, and number three is what I've called the sinful poor. I don't like that term really well, but I couldn't think of a better one. Uh, the sinful poor. Some people are poor because of sinful decisions. I know when I was here, the deacons at Brittle Heights Church used to give away, I won't say give away, well, give away, I guess, uh, a lot of charitable help. But they had a general rule that before we give away money, we investigate first. <laughs> we investigate. We need to send some deacons out and find out what the problem is, what's the cause of the problem. And if it's a poverty that comes from a sinful lifestyle or laziness, then that's a different kind of poverty. And we'll deal with that differently. Lived in the manse up here for... 23 years, and there was a big sign. Some of you remember in the, in the church, in the man's yard, 
said Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church. And what that meant for a lot of people is that, oh, there's a preacher who lives there, and I need some money, and that's where I'll probably get it. And we had our share of people who stopped by knocking on the door saying, I need help. Uh, sometimes in the beginning, we might give them some money. Um, I remember one time I didn't have any money, and I told my children, I said, go in your rooms and get your piggy bank and take so much out of your piggy bank, and we'll give this man some money. And that was the best thing for my, not the man, but for my children, really. I was teaching my children something, how to be charitable. And they did. They didn't question their father. They did. And another man came by one time, and um, I didn't have really any money, cash, and for some reason, I didn't offer him any canned food, but I did tell him, well, we have a garden behind the manse up here. Uh, before the parking lot was built, there was a big place for a nice garden. We always, had a, we always had a garden, and we had tomatoes and potatoes and corn and green beans, and we had it all. And it was just at harvest time, and I told him, I said, we don't have any money. We're not giving you any canned food, but I tell you what, I've got a, a mattock in my basement, and you can have all the potatoes you want to have. Just go out there and dig them. And he said, no, I don't think I need any help. I still refer to him as the potato man. <laughs> he didn't need any help. He didn't want to work for him. So, you know, he walks away from the house, and I don't feel guilty at all. You know, part of life is fighting guilt all the time. Guilt feeling, guilt, guilt, guilt. You should be guilty about this. You should be guilty about that. Walk by the Salvation Army kettle. Oh, you should feel guilty. You see somebody up here on the road begging for money, and you pass by him, and oh, you should feel guilty. Guilt, guilt, guilt. And this is one time where I'd felt no guilt whatsoever. Because I offered him the opportunity for food if he was willing to work for it. So there are those who are poor, which I call the sinful poor. Maybe they've gambled away their money. And I'll, you know, as you get older, you get full of stories. You get too many stories. It makes the sermon too long sometimes, but... I remember my mother telling me about my father, who was not a Christian, as a young man who had a brood of children at home. He went to work in the coal mines. He got paid his first paycheck. He went to what we called the beer joint. I don't know if we have beer joints anymore or not, but that's what we called them. And, and he gambled away his whole paycheck. And here's my mother at home waiting for my dad to come home to provide her with money so she could go buy food, and there was nothing. I think that happened one time and never happened again. I'm not sure what she did. <laughs> but that was poverty because of sinfulness. Some people drink away everything they have 
Some people get overextended into debt and go bankrupt. And some people are just lazy. They don't want to work. And the Bible tells us how to deal with that kind of person. It says, if a man will not work, let him not eat. So I'm not responsible to provide you for food if I discover that you're trying to con me. And I don't feel guilty at all. Sometimes we call it, we call it tough love. Hunger drives men to work. And until they work, we hold back our charity. Proverbs 10.4, poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the mind of the diligent makes a man rich. Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes slave to the lender. I'm reminded of the uh, story that Christ told about forgiveness in um, Matthew 18. The king who forgave his slave, who was an economic slave, in debt for 10,000 talents. And the king demanded his money, and the slave pleaded for mercy, and I will repay you. That's important, you know. I'll work and repay you. And the king says, what? Forget it. You owe me nothing. And then the debtor himself goes to his slave, economic slave, who owed him 100 denarii, not that 10,000 talents, but... And he just went to him and started choking him and said, you pay me and you pay me now. And he says, the submissive slave said, just be patient with me and I'll pay you back. And then the king heard about his debtor not forgiving his slave. And he handed him over to, the Bible says, the torturers. My version says the torturers. Until he pays every penny. So the sinful poor do exist. They're out there. We call them hustlers. They may use fraud. They may be the beggars on the street. So that's the poor in spirit, the providential poor, the sinful poor. And lastly, what I call the persecuted poor. And I think really Psalm 140 is really dealing with that because the almost the first 11 verses is dealing, uh, David is dealing with his... Uh, condition of being uh, chased in, in, in war and hatred and uh, a lack of having the things that he needs, being afflicted, as it says there uh, in verse 12, I know the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor.
So there are some people who are poor because they are persecuted. We don't see too many of those today. Some people believe they're persecuted, but until people start coming after your money and make you poor, you're not totally biblically in that condition which uh, David was in here. And so there are those who are poor because they are, uh, are persecuted. And, and the scriptures is full of, full of examples of those. Of course, Paul was one uh, who was. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we're uh, the great chapter about those of, uh, of great faith. Uh, it ends showing what these people gave up uh, for the faith. And it says there in uh, Hebrews 11, the last few verses, they are stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Now that's persecution there. Destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, living in the deserts, wandering in the caves and the holes in the ground. And I would say to anybody who persecutes those people, God has their back. God has their back. Uh, King David understood something of, uh, well, his own... Heart, but you know he was going to give a uh, um, a dinner, a celebration, and and rather than take his own one of his own sheep, he which he had multitudes, he went and took the sheep of a man who had only one, and that's what Nathan said. You know, he said, "You're the man." That's the story. Because you mistreated the poor. Let me read just a few uh, Old Testament passages. Um, Isaiah uh, chapter 3, verse 13. The Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the poor? declares the Lord God of hosts. 
You have grounded the face of the poor, and judgment is coming. Isaiah 10, 1 and 2. Um, Woe to those who enact evil statutes, and to those who constantly record unjust decisions, so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights, so that widows may be their spoil and that they may plunder the orphans. Now what will you do in the day of punishment and in the devastation which will come afar? To whom will you flee and where will you leave your wealth? If you are in a position of making rules and decisions and you take advantage of the poor, my people, where are you going to run? Where are you going to get away from me? Because I've got their back. You know, in, in James 1.27, in the New Testament, it's, it's amazing how James, not amazing, but interesting how James knew his Old Testament so well, <laughs> which is kind of a contradiction, I guess. But James chapter 2, you know, you know the, uh, the text. Having read those two verses in Isaiah... At um, James chapter 1, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one, stain, one unstained by the world, which is part of it. But part of it is to visit, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And that is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. You see why they told Paul, when you go out and preach the gospel to all the world, to all the Gentiles, keep your eye out for the poor. And when you find them, you help them. Okay. As we're preaching the gospel, we'll, we'll, we'll do that too. And I think there uh, in, in um, let's see, in James, uh, let's see, yeah, James 2, 5, 6, and 7. James 2, 5, 6, and 7. Listen, my beloved brethren, do not choose, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith. Now, some people interpret that to be the poor in spirit, and it could be, but I don't believe it is. The whole context is a man who comes into your church, one who's dressed like a king and one who's dressed in poverty. And you make distinctions among yourselves 
And that's when he says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? The poor don't mistreat you. The rich who have power and who have no love of God, who make the rules, they're out to get you and to use the law against you, not the poor. And basically, James says, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. You have no concern for the poor. Don't tell me about how holy you are. Now, the conclusion there, basically, we have four types of, of poverty. We have the poor in spirit. We have the providential poor. We have the sinful poor. And we have the persecuted poor. And we need to be able to distinguish the difference. Some you can help, some you can't. Some you must not help. And I think the answer to dealing with this is that charity should be local. Charity should be local. You've heard that um, in real estate there are three Things that are important, location, location, and location, right? Neighbors, neighbors, and neighbors. Well, in charity, there are three important words, I would say, and that is local, local, local. You know why? Because you know them. And you know which category they fit in. And you're not helping the sinful poor. But when you find the persecuted poor, you find the providential poor, we'll be there. We'll be there. Okay, I was raised in the 60s. In the 60s, uh, President Lyndon B. Baines Johnson, who I got to see one time, he came to West Virginia because West Virginia was poor. You know. We had all kind of political uh, important people come into our state. I saw John F. Kennedy. I saw Johnson. I saw Robert Kennedy. Everybody's coming in to help the poor. And they declared war on poverty. And many years later, I concluded they lost the war. <laughs> they did. They lost the war. Because we've got more poor people now than before they came. We've got less people working now than before they came. War is over. And then they took charity out of the local community and put it in the hands of the state and national government who don't know anybody and are just being paid a paycheck to cycle the money to some who may be poor and some who may be beating the system. 
There's nothing like local charity. The family, the church, personal and private. Sometimes what is needed is not money, but sometimes a change in the pattern of your life. Sometimes maybe conversion. Sometimes what we need to do is to put fathers back into the home. Now, I know that's not the issue here in this church, but you don't have to go far when that's, that's the issue. My uh, wife's, and I will talk about her a little bit here, but her, uh, one of her ancestors was in Virginia in the 1600s. He was a vestryman in the, um, this is before the Episcopalian Church even existed. It was still called the Church of England in the United States. Uh, later the Anglican Church, but he was a vestryman in the uh, New Kent County, Virginia, which basically was a deacon, except they were co-partners with the local sheriff. If some lady got pregnant apart from wedlock, the vestryman's going to come and make a visit to you, sir, and make sure you take care of your child. This is the vestryman in the church. That's the way it used to be. Now, I'm not that old. I'm not, I don't go back that far. <laughs> but those are the story. And also, they were there. Their prime responsibility was to help the poor in the community. That was their job. And I wonder how much... Well, I don't wonder. I know that uh, the church really has the answers. You know, we have the answers. God's word has the answers on how to deal with poverty. Nobody's asking us much. I don't know if we're making a good example. I hope we are. But I hope the day will come, being a post-millennialist, I believe the day will come when the kingdom of God will spread to all the world and all the nations will come and bow to Christ and they'll come to the church and say, okay, we have some poor in our community. How do we deal with them? And we'll be right there with God's word and says, here it is. Remember Pastor Ball's sermon? There's four types. Investigation. We're going to find out which type and we'll know how to deal with them. We're not going to be getting money from some faraway place, but it's going to be local. We're going to go back to what it was in the 1600s when they were much brighter, much smarter, believe it or not, if you believe in evolution, believe it or not, they were much more wise than we'll ever be, I think. That's why we read the Puritans, right? And people have died hundreds of years ago because they were smarter than we are. They were smarter than we are. They were more wise than we are. Now, concluding here, maybe the, uh, another proverb that always uh, was important to me, uh, the proverb, the, the writer says, give me neither poverty nor give me wealth. Lord, I don't want to be rich and I don't want to be poor. 
If I'm poor, I'll be tempted to steal, and I don't want to steal. Because when you're poor, you do have that temptation. If I'm rich, I'll be tempted to be proudful. Pride. And I don't want to be proud, proudful. So Lord, just put me in the middle class, and I'll be happy. I'll be happy. I won't have to fight as many temptations. So if you're in the middle class, you should maybe thank, thank God for that. So we need to return to God's word. Um, you know the, the words of Christ in Matthew 25, that powerful words, and, and we're not teaching a salvation by works here. We're, we're just trying to stir up the godly people unto good works. But, you know, in the last day, many will come to me and, 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 uh, and say, you know, Jesus would say, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, I was in prison. And they say, when do we see you, Lee Jesus? Well, when you saw those who were hungry and thirsty and in prison and naked and a stranger, and you did nothing. I mean, really, really helpful. Somebody you know, we're not talking about putting coins into the Salvation Army bucket. We're talking about people we know who's really got a tough time and they need our help. Maybe because they're Christians, maybe someday because they're running uh, from the authorities, uh, they're hungry, they're thirsty, and you didn't help them. And those fearful words depart from me because that was me. That was a test for you. And finally, Jesus, you know the passage, Jesus became poor that through his poverty we might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And if you read the context, you know, we quote these verses sometimes, but we never read the context. The context is his gathering money for the Jerusalem church who was being persecuted from all the other churches. Now, sometimes you can send money to another church because you've got somebody like Paul saying they need it. And if Paul says it, that's good enough for us. We don't have to send an investigation committee. And Paul says they need it. And in that context, he says, you know, you, you, they, the churches have been very gracious in sending money to the persecuted church at Jerusalem. And in that context, uh, Paul says that Jesus, who was rich, became poor. That we, through his poverty, might become rich. And then he goes on talking about the need of the churches, okay? Jesus became poor. Certainly he gave up his glory. But certainly he was not a man of wealth. So... That's basically it here this evening. <laughs> Remember, four types. Uh, poor in spirit, providentially poor, sinfully poor, and persecuted poor. We need to know where they fall. And if they fall into one category, we shut the door. I can't help you. 
But if they fall into the other categories and they come to our door knocking, boy, you better help them. Because God's got their back. And if you do help them, it's like you've loaned money to God. And God's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. And I think I've seen that happen in life uh, many, many times to those who were gracious of heart that God just took care of them in ways that I could have never have imagined. So we're not teaching the salvation by works here. We're teaching the what we want to be. You know, we haven't made it yet. We're still striving. We want to be somebody who... When we are out preaching, our eyes are always looking. Or when we're out doing other things, we're always looking for that man, woman, child who really needs help. And we're going to be there. We're going to be there. And show the love of Christ who gave up his riches and became poor that we through his poverty might become rich. May God give us grace. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples of, of poverty, uh, various as they are, but important they are, and how we are to respond. We pray that we might not promote sinfulness and laziness in men, but that we, when we see poverty, real poverty, that we might show the love of Christ out of joy of serving him. We ask these.